most people that I meet have one of two thoughts. They either think that money is the root of all evil, or they just say, you know what? I don't even care about money. You know, I'm so above all this. I'm like, I don't even care about money. It's almost like they have to project this air of just indifference. indifference. Yeah, just, I don't care. You superficial people, you go worry about money. I'm not even going to care about money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, oh, there's the self-defense mechanism. Okay, yep. so that's the storyline. Recording from my studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a born and raised New Yorker, now living in the South. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. My name is Al. I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. I've worked with thousands of clients in all areas of the country and from all walks of life. Through the relationships I had with these people, I've discovered the mindsets and behaviors that are most effective in a person's financial life, plus the pitfalls and all the BS to watch out for. The financial independence community today has completely lost its way. And I felt it was time to call out the FI gurus, podcasters, and self-proclaimed pundits. This podcast is not about the numbers. That's what all the other financial podcasts talk about. We will focus on the emotional and psychological components that drive our behavior. I am not looking for new clients. And I'm not interested in running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is from an insider's perspective and pull back the curtain on the financial industry. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. Episode number 10, self-fulfilling prophecy and the root of all evil. I'm here with Diane. It is 2020. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And we are starting this year off on self-fulfilling prophecy (laughs) and the root of all evil. And we combined the two. We thought they related. So we're going to run a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah. I read them today. It's been a while since we Mm -hmm. wrote them. Um, And yeah, they just seem to go together. No it's need all to about story. Stories are everywhere. Goes back to the story. So yeah. I was telling you before the podcast, I was thinking about just to sum up this whole podcast, going to a physical therapy session and the physical therapist working on me. And it was like gut-wrenching work. I was drenched in sweat, gripping the table like in pain, mm-hmm. like literally yelling out. He's like, you can curse if you want. I'm like, I was, you know, mm-hmm. telling him <laughs> to fuck off. And, and, um, he was telling me how he's working on it. He's like, well, you know, we're going to start at your ankles and we basically just work up your leg and there's these cables that work up your leg and you have to work on each of these to get them Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. So you have a release. Yeah. And there's not just one. It was just continued and oh, one. Like a whole network of them that are. Exactly. It's like a tangled web. Yes. And I was thinking about that and I was like, oh yeah. I'm like, that really relates to what we're trying to do with the podcast just telling all of these different stories. They're different webs that need to be kind of worked out. When they get tangled, that's when it gets really painful and tight. And yeah. Yeah. Or you're just not aware of them. So like, Mm -hmm. just by like thinking about them, writing about them, talking about them, you're like, oh, all right. I remember that. Oh Uh yeah. Let's go in. And that leads into something else. Oh, it branches off there. And so I thought it was a kind of a cool comparison between the two. 
And so the one, you know, we, we talked about with a friend of mine that we're not going to name names. Self-fulfilling prophecies, how people don't realize what, how, how impactful and powerful their words are. And they just say things just out of habit. And what, what was the thing that you said about the disclaimer that oh. whoever we talked about? <laughs> so when we say, share any anecdotes, um, there is a meme that's a writer meme that I love, of course, and the friend had shared it with me and said, um, dedicated to all the people who wonder if I'm writing about you. I am. So, <laughs> you know, I'm really not writing about every single person I ever meet or have a conversation with. That's just impossible. That's not why I write. Um, do I write about some people? Sure. But it's a combination of a lot of different people and experiences. So if you feel like you recognize yourself, that's the disclaimer is. It's probably not about a specific individual person. <laughs> that's what I was going to use as my disclaimer. That <laughs> it's a combination of friends. Listen, it has nothing to do. There's no one it's, person that I'm talking about. It's not just about you. That's so much in life. It's just <laughs> got to play it safe with the friends here. <laughs> well, and plus you and I both have a lot of personal experiences. So it could be a combination of your experience and mine as well. So yeah, no one right. really knows who we're talking about. That's right. Ooh. This is your friend, Diane, we're going to talk about. So <laughs> your friend said, <laughs> so I had a friend that said, I'm not good with money. And he said, I'm not good with money because my parents were never good with money. Hmm. And this is a friend that was having a lot of financial trouble and mm. probably currently is. And I just thought, I'm like, wow, like you just told me that. So you've been telling yourself this probably your whole life. Oh, yeah. And so you really think that you're bad with money and that it was almost like inherited. Right. By, There's nothing I can do about it. It was, yeah, my parents were this way. This is the way I am. Yeah. Like, like oops, can't, um, can't do anything. Um, and then... My first question is like, well, what are the chances you think you're going to be financially secure in any way in your mm -hmm. future? Right. And I didn't say this to him. I just, that was my question in my head. That maybe I should have said it to him. It's just, there's no way. It's like you have this broken record running story of mm -hmm. how you're bad with money. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's literally, I'm watching the behavior play out in Show real up. time. Yeah. Yeah. In real time, it's happening. So... <laughs> All right, we'll just get into it. Why not? This is my podcast. Get to say whatever I want. <laughs> so we go out to dinner and he basically is paying for the dinner with somebody else's money. Oh. I'm like, wow, just that he thinks that's okay. It doesn't even give it a second thought. Just, yeah. Yeah, it just, I, uh, shocking. And so like at, hearing what, he, what came out of his mouth and then seeing the action that followed mm. and just seeing just the way he... His life is, you know, as far as financially. But he's comfortable living financially underwater. Just yeah, I guess people get used to that, right? Mm -hmm. Or they don't know any different. Or I also had a friend that told me, we were talking, I don't know why we were talking about the amount of money. We were talked about like coming across, like having $10,000. Mm -hmm. And he said something like, I wouldn't even know what to do with $10,000. I'd probably just spend it. Or like something along the lines of like, I really would. I've never had $10,000. If you gave it to me, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. I'm like, that's the problem. Right. You're because telling yourself you're unqualified. And yeah. Yeah. And, th and then kind of going into that, if I had it, I would just blow it. Right. So right. Like if it were saying, to show up, what do you think would happen? Yeah, yeah. Go, you know, go on a vacation, go just blow it. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so, and that, th this is not uncommon. I know no. this is like a reoccurring theme with these podcasts, but this is not uncommon. This is the, this is the it's majority. It's more common than, than not, 
yeah. It is. It really is, which is shocking. And these are all smart people, mm-hmm. like, in, like charismatic, intelligent, articulate people that went to college, that they're in the United States of America, which they have the most opportunity, opportunity and just it, it just Resources, boggles my mind the, that, yeah. yeah, and they're white males to boot. I mean, <laughs> could you have like, can you have rolled the dice any better and like came out with a better outcome? You're a white male in the United States and you're broke. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Like it boggles my mind and it, it drives me crazy and I want to help and I want to, I don't know if pointing this out helps anybody, but at least if they could recognize the stories that they're telling themselves. I don't think that's the thing. I think the stories are unconscious. Right. They're not looking at them or they know that they're happening, but they're not putting any weight on them saying that, Oh, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't, stories yeah. don't, stories don't affect my behavior. The things I say don't have an impact. I think it's yeah. because there's not like a megaphone in their ear. It's just sort of like a background story. They don't like even that. notice. They're so blind. Yeah. To it, the things yeah. that they're saying. Yeah. And if you can get them to notice, right. I think that's the first step, but like, that's not the final step. I mean, mm-hmm. noticing is one thing. All right. Now, do you see the interrelation of noticing this story and how that story has played out in your life and mm-hmm. how you've had all of these behaviors that it wasn't chance, it wasn't bad luck. Mm-hmm. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was something mm-hmm. that you were telling yourself and then right. now your life went down that path. You know? Into that direction. Yes. And that terrifies me when you see people that are otherwise intelligent people. And it's just such an easy little turn. Turn it back a little bit. Let's turn this story back. Let's create something new. So telling those new stories, there's a story I heard many years ago about the twins that were born to an alcoholic father. Grew up in the same family household that included a lot of abuse and trauma and yes. And then one turns out to be a famous writer uh-huh. and the other one turns out to be an abusive alcoholic, just like his father. Just like dad. Yeah. And the only difference in the two is their, like you said, their perception, their interpretation. Their interpretation, the story that they choose to come away from those experiences with. Two such divergent pathways. Mm. Yeah. Like one- Continuing to play out the same patterns and toxic behaviors witnessed as a child or choosing to look at it as an opportunity. And I think the writing was about his childhood experiences, his life. And yeah. And yeah. he, though the alcoholic, the son that became an alcoholic as well. I mean, he believes that he inherited that from his dad. There's nothing I can he, do about it. Nothing I can do about it. Same as the person with money problems yeah. because my parents weren't good with money. Or like the example of I'm a fiery Italian, so I'm allowed to have a temper. It's like, well. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm a fiery Italian. I'm yeah. supposed to be angry. Yeah. It's just part of me. Just, yeah. And so like, I think of the twin that's the writer, like the, t- the twin that's the writer didn't have like this easy go of it. No. Same trauma, like same, same trauma, same traumatic environment. Right. And maybe it, I mean, I can't predict what his, you know, his interpretation was, but it seems to me it, it's something along the lines of like, that was a bad experience. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Don't want to go through that. Not <laughs> good for not anybody. Yeah. But it doesn't define me. And it's something that happened to me. I, I was a kid. I had no say in that situation. No agency at that. Right. And so I'm choosing now not to do that because I know how, what it felt. It's some, some form of empathy where like I know what it feels like to be that person and I don't want to be that person. 
or even shifting behavior as a parent, you know, to have been on the receiving end of trauma or abuse, whatever that looks like. Um, and then making intentionally different choices with your children. You know, like I know what my childhood experience was and I don't want to inflict that on my children. So I'm going to make different choices right. and tell myself a different story. Right. It's such a great way of like kind of churning that story and for someone to become like a, you know, a famous writer telling the story and getting that out to millions of people possibly. Yeah. And how many people might that resonate with? Yeah, exactly. New stories. They're not easy to come up with when you're in like the throes of something that's Stressful. difficult, challenging situations. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, that's the thing. It's so easy to come up with like the new nice story when you're like comfy. Calm a, and yeah, yeah, nice warm cup of cocoa and toasty and comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's when like things are really stressful and hard and you have emotional That we upheaval. default back to the settings, the unconscious settings. Yeah, you real, that's when you realize how powerful those stories are. How, that, yeah, and how deeply ingrained they are. Yeah, and that they're just on autopilots. It's just a reverse back to this autopilot. It's not like you're conjuring them up. It's not like you're... You're not intentionally trying to harm yourself. But, no. Yeah. But they're playing. Well, and the awareness is the first, is the critical piece. Yeah. And it's and, the recognition over and over again. Right. Not just a one-time recognition, but knowing, just being on alert or being, right. you know, aware of when it's coming up. Man, it came up 20 times today. Mm-hmm. Like when those days happen for me, when I can pick out the storyline that's like bothering me, that like mm -hmm. I'm retelling the same story, it's making me angry or it's making me anxious. When I can pick them out over and over again, I find that I become calmer. I'm like, okay, got it. Like it's right. just the repetition of the awareness helps. Yeah. It's kind of working through the story. It's almost like working out that cable. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it can be extremely painful at first, but it does get easier. Yeah, but ongoing process. Continual process. <laughs> yeah, there's no, so, uh, no destination. And one of my favorite questions that I shared with you earlier is, you know, asking myself, well, whose story is this? Is this a story mm. from a parent, from a teacher, from a friend? Whose story is this that I'm choosing to keep telling myself? Or even if it's a story that I wrote, is it one that I want to keep and perpetuate? Because if I don't like right. it, well... And I'm going to need to start writing a new one. But asking, just even stopping to ask, whose story is this? Because a lot of times, we you know, we're believing a story and we're not even thinking to question, is that ours? And is it what we want? Mm. Did you have like certain stories growing up about money? Like, oh my God. Has... <laughs> Are there like kind of like some The amount threads? of work I have done with regard to money. <laughs> oh, damn, it's been intense work. Yeah. And so you and I grew up in the same part of the country. And I think mm -hmm. we've talked about um, it is just... It's a hyper consumerist, fast paced, more, 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 more mentality. And my family is probably middle class. And that area of the country, there's, there's a lot of very wealthy people. And then there's a lot of very not wealthy people. And we were kind of in the middle. Um, but the stories growing up were always, there's not enough. Keep working harder, work more, more, more. That's what I witnessed my parents doing. But yeah, so there were deeply ingrained stories about money that I didn't really start confronting until in my thirties mm. and was shocked at how they were impacting my life as an adult. And so the last several years have been spent witnessing and continuing to unravel and unravel and unravel those old false stories. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, they became ingrained. Yeah. You just kept told to you, told to you. Well, that's the way it is. That's the right. truth. Like there's no such thing as a bad client. <laughs> like, 
Oh, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even that one alone was huge for me because 10 to 15 years ago, I was taking any real estate client and I was freaking miserable. I was getting yelled at by my clients. Yeah. I've had that experience too, where people would boss me around. Oh yeah. And I would take it. Yeah. Cause I felt like I, I was coming from a place of desperation. Yeah. And I think they can sense it. And, totally. You know, so it's kind of, well, I can so walk So you know over some you. of my current clients. I'm like, I really like what I'm attracting now. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just freaking so awesome and so genuine and respectful and undeniably perfect for me. It's just like, those are the people I want to work with. So I think it's been a long time working <laughs> with jerks. <laughs> I think it's having that attitude of that you care, but listen, I don't care that much. Well, I'm not going to allow you to tell me how to do my job. Either you're going to respect me as a professional or go find somebody else to harass. Very true. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's one of those things, like even when I tell people today, like I'm a financial advisor, I stop it there and they're kind of waiting for the pitch, you know, yeah, like, yes. <laughs> you know, your slogan? <laughs> like, I don't have any business cards. I'm not even going to talk about like, and it's just, I don't do it. Like, I just yeah. don't do it. And it's, it's weird. It kind of stops the conversation. There's like an awkward pause and then it just goes on to something else. Because I yeah. think they're waiting for like, and by the way, I can handle your money. Here's my card and call me Call me Monday. when you have it. That's, just all. It's like, that's not how it works. Yeah. And that's been so liberating for me to shift my focus. I have not marketed myself as a real estate broker in almost a year, almost exactly a year now. Yeah. I have worked with more clients, past clients and new clients in the last six months. And they found me. Like, and I go and stand in rooms and I watch all the other real estate people pitch themselves. And I'm like, I'm a writer and a ghostwriter. Like, it's just been so freeing for me to not have to like swim in that pool of people anymore. Because no offense, like financial advisors, they're a dime a dozen. There's a ton of them out there. Yeah. But and they're you, all looking and pitching and grasping for business, it seems. They are. And I still have like that reoccurring story that you have to constantly be trying to find new business. Market yourself. Yeah. Market myself. And I haven't marketed myself in seven years. So I've been independent seven years. Mm. And, you know, I get referrals from clients here and there. But for the most part, I just have my book of business. Right. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, if you don't keep, if you don't start looking yeah. and you're going to get like left in the dust by the pack or like clients are going to start leaving and then you're going to wish you would have been trying. I'm telling you, like, this is something to this day, I tell myself and I, I catch it. Yep. It's so, ing- this is like the one that's like, it's literally, I feel like it's in my like bones. Yeah. Like it's just been pumped into me. So like keep prospecting, keep finding new, keep building. If you're not building, you're not growing, you're dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a Tony Robbins one, by the way. If you're not growing, you're dying. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh no, if I'm not growing, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> think about that. So it's like, you know, it's harshly life, black and white. Like, what, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there's a grayer in between. Yeah. So I'm basically life and death every day here thinking about prospecting. If I'm not growing, I'm dying. So it, it's that story, man, that story drives me. And I think it's, we were talking about last week about men and men have this kind of drive to produce, provide, and uh-huh. provide. And, you know, it's just, and just that fear of like, you can never be poor. I always have to be productive. I always have to be producing. Um, mm. That's a very ingrained story. That- Culturally, it is. So there's a book that I just read. It's called Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. Good book. Wow. And it, 
forget the author. Um, God, I don't relate to that at all. But it talks about like I hope the fallout. Good, I hope it's a woman. It is a woman. <laughs> I, I just am blanking on her last name. Um, but it talks about like some of the fallout from the sexual harassment scandals and mm. how the press was all about like the, this man has been devastated or like it's the firing squad it's like he just lost his job like he's <laughs> alive and well and our point was like but that's how men culturally are identified with their career their yes. income yes the producer role it's like no he's alive and well like and that was just funny to read her rundown breakdown of it like, yeah so instead of being worth a half a billion dollars right. now he's got 250 he's, million he, Poor exactly guy. yeah <laughs> how could he survive <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you telling me about that, about like the whole like the Weinstein thing and all yeah, that. Yeah, I've read yeah. a couple on those similar topics. That was a good one. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was just watching a comedy special by Bill Burr, and he was talking about the Mel Gibson in mm, that whole yeah. incident. That was many years ago. I it think. was a long time ago. Yeah, long time ago. And like his, <laughs> he talks about the joke, like how crazy he was on the phone. Just like they had that recording, mm-hmm. and that he basically had to give up his Lakers tickets to his ex. He's like, I even had to give up my Lakers tickets. And like, like he was so distraught that he had to like, right, every, devastated. Like she's taking everything and she's taking the Lakers and tickets. The Lakers tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hilarious. like the way he said it was like the whole crowd was laughing. It was hilarious uh, because it's so stupid. It's like, wow, poor guy. Too bad. You. Can't yeah. even go to the game now. Oh, sorry. You gotta watch it on your giant screen TV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that goes into like our next post. So the root of all evil. Yeah. So root of all evil, of course, is money, as we know. As many people believe, but yeah, as we were talking about money, dollar bills, hundreds, even hundreds are not going out around murdering people. It's not money that's inherently anything. Yeah. Right. Benjamin's just running around killing people. Um, yeah, so I, the, the the spin on that is the lack of money mm-hmm. is maybe the root of all evil. Well, not even, you know, if we're going to put it in some sort of context, like you can't, you're calling something evil that's a neutral substance. It's, right. It has no... It's an inanimate object. Yeah, it's just a neutral, it could be good or bad. It, it's not by nature good or bad. But it again comes down to how you interpret and what story you attach to it, what meaning you attach to it. Yeah, and the experience and the you have that. with it. Yeah, yes, as a like, result of, yeah, so of that story. Being in that constant state of being insecure with money or being anxious about money, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you think money is the root of all evil? I mean, you're thinking about it all the time. You're worried about it. You're most, it's an obsession. You know, and you're just, you're living in fear. You're living in fear and you're just like, why do I got to keep doing this? I got to work all the time. I never have money. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, my whole life just revolves around thinking about money. I can't pay my bills. I got these late notices coming. And then you start to realize you're like, oh, of course they're going to think that money is evil. Mm-hmm. Most people that I meet have one of two thoughts. They either think that money is the root of all evil or they just say, you know what? I don't even care about money. You know, I'm so above all this. I'm like, I don't even care about money. It's almost like they have to project this air of indifference. indifference. Yeah, just, I don't care. You superficial people, you go worry about money. I'm not even going to care about money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, there's the self-defense mechanism. Okay, yep. so that's the storyline. It's not evil. Now you just don't care. Now about you it. just don't care. Right. Yeah, like I'm turning my back on you. Like, no money. Mm-mm. I'm not thinking about you. 
And then I, I you take that a little further and you see where the financial status of these people, and I call the term redlining, they're, they're living mm-hmm. a lifestyle of redlining where all their income just completely, it goes in, it goes right back out. Well, as the income increases, the expenses then increase to match the rise in income. That's true. Right. So you're always, yeah, you're always kind of upping your expenses Mm -hmm. as income rises. Mm -hmm. And this could go on forever. I mean, there's people that make millions a year that are redlining. Mm -hmm. You could make 20 grand, you can make millions. You could still be at the same level from net net worth or yeah. And so then I kind of contrast that. So my dad was born in in Sicily. He moved Mm -hmm. here when he was 13, didn't know a lick of English. They just threw him in like some classroom. And I mean, not extremely financially successful, but like had a family of five and supported a family of five and retired in Florida like everybody from New York does. Yep. You know, we're all required to sign a contract when you live in New York. To, <laughs> at 65, you get to drive down to Florida. Except those of us who chose North Carolina, we get to stay in the middle. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, we're like, well, yeah, they called my parents. My parents then bought like a, a little condo in South Carolina uh-huh. just to be near my daughter and they call them halfbacks. Yes. Yeah. yeah you've heard that. Exactly. I have. So, um, but their mentality was always frugal. So like our like big night going out to eat once a month was like McDonald's, Chinese food, or like pizza. Mm -hmm. Like there was no, I'd never been to a nice restaurant until I was, you know, an adult. They just couldn't do it. It wasn't a priority to them. One and one experience that like is so vivid in my mind. My dad had four weeks vacation a year. Mm -hmm. And this one summer he took all four weeks in one shot. Like, so we had a month off. Mm. And we jumped in a Toyota, not Celica, Toyota. It was some sort of Toyota. It was back mm-hmm. in the day. And no air conditioning, roll down yeah. windows. Yep. And five of us in the car. So me in the middle on the hump, you know, yep. my two sisters on either side, older sisters. And we drove cross country. We drove to California. Oh, wow. And then we had like, my mom had an uncle like in Mexico, we went down to Mexico, huh. and then like all over the place. End of the trip. The month's over. We're literally, I, I don't know, like Delaware or on the East Coast driving back to Long Island. Yeah. My parents are out of money. They have no more money. There's no credit cards back then. Oh, so I'm, yeah. like, I'm five years old. No, not even five years old. Yeah, maybe five years old. And yeah, no credit cards. Literally, we were all digging in the seats and on the floor for, for change. change. Yeah. And then we stopped at like a vending machine and that was our dinner for like the last, it was like they literally crunched it like right to the end. Yeah. I don't know how they paid for gas. I guess they had just enough gas. Wow. But yeah, crazy. Like, and they thought that was the greatest trip ever. Like we talked about that trip like our whole lives, you know, yeah. like, oh yeah, I remember that trip, a cross country trip. And so I just think of like his mentality, my dad's mentality. It's just so different than like the current, I don't want to call them just millennials. It's, you know, it's everybody from- It's not just millennials. It's not- Baby boomers, too. Gen X. It's No, it's not exclusive. And you know what? There's World War II generation people that weren't frugal. It's not- Yes. Yeah. You know, we're generalizing. But I start to think of just how far, you know, the dichotomy of that. Like, you know, there's people making 50 grand a year supporting a family of five. Yeah. And there's single people making six figures that are broke. Right. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, they both are human beings that require the same things. What, like food, shelter, clothing, you know? Yeah, the basic essentials. Yeah. But for whatever reason, one person can't do it on Mm -hmm. more than twice the amount as another person that's supporting a family of five. I just thought it was interesting. I mean, the redlining thing for me is so common. Once again, it's shocking. It's an easy trap to fall into is like when your income goes up, well, now I can buy a nicer car. 
like you can, but do you really want to? I mean, where are your priorities? You know, as your income increases, where are you choosing to spend money? And I don't think like human beings were designed biologically to prepare for the future. I think they were mm. more kind of live for today and take survival. Care of, mm-hmm. Yeah, with survival, it just, you know, looking ahead 10 years wasn't something anybody like our predecessors had to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're planning maybe a year ahead. Yeah. You just don't have the means to accumulate or it was more of a, maybe not a nomadic lifestyle, but it was just to have this wherewithal of thinking 20 years ahead is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And people aren't equipped to think about that. You're not thinking of your 20 year future self. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking about the car you want to drive right now. Right and, now. Yeah. Or the dinner you want to have or the vacation you want to have or the couch you want to have. Or, and then like you, you said, it's just income goes up, expenses go up. It just gets mm-hmm. swallowed up. Yeah, a lot of times, and you don't even see it happening. Like you don't even feel it. You don't think that you're upgrading your lifestyle. You're like, I'm just living. Yeah, I'm like, really? Well, I was making twenty grand a year, you know, twenty five years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, now you're making over six figures, but for whatever reason, you still have no money. Right. You lived both ways. You lived. Right. You know, so I think it's very subtle. It's very subtle and. Yeah, it's like the story of the frog in the pot of water. It doesn't realize he's being cooked because it's just so gradual and so incremental. And it's just one thing after another, after another. It's so slow. But that's in all this stuff we're talking about is all these storylines. Yeah. They're so subtle. They're incredibly subtle. And that's why they're dangerous. Yeah, when there's many of them running. Why it's liberating the more and more awareness you shine on them. Yeah. And it's, there's so much freedom. Yeah. It's like being that frog being like, you know, it's a little hot in here. I should probably pay attention (laughs) to what's going on. Uh, (laughs) Just seems like a good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And we talked about too, like there's almost like, and you know, some people take it as like a badge of honor, like saying that money is the root of all evil. They feel like like a, a poverty vow is somehow like a badge of honor to them. Like, well, you know, like a status almost. That doesn't make sense to me. But well, it's like the, mar- the martyr role, right? Yes. Like you're playing the martyr. Like, um, yeah, I like have how much it so I'm sacri- sacrificing or, yeah. like hmm. There's honor in being poor. Like, right. that's the strange thing. Because like, we, yeah, we were saying like, there's, all right, so this guy's... <laughs> Don't get political. There's guys like Donald Trump. There's guys like, you know, that are just that are very ostentatious yeah. and just, you know, all about power, all about accumulation. Uh-huh. And then, but then on the flip side of that, the most powerful and the people with the most money, like uh, Bill Gates, yes. you know, their foundation, I mean, they're donating almost everything to like a cause that's saving millions of people that's in Africa. Humanitarian focus. Yeah, curing diseases. Yeah, yeah. vaccinations. And like a guy like Warren Buffett now pledged all basically his entire net worth to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mm-hmm. when he dies. So he's going to leave like a few million to like his heirs and then like yeah. everything else goes to there because he, he realizes that he's he's not a philanthropist and he doesn't know what to do with this money. And That's he, not his but, skill set, but someone else, it is their skill set and they have a foundation and a framework in place to distribute funds. Like, right. Yes. And yet, so, so there's there's two different people and there's two different perspectives going on in the world, but who's getting more publicity? It's not the people quietly doing philanthropy and humanitarian 
financial support. It's the people buying cars and houses and yeah. And it's, it's funny, like, obviously, I don't know Bill Gates, and I don't know Warren Buffett. But from what I hear, they're not, you know, living in like, you know, these real ridiculous places. Maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe I'm they sure are. they're comfortable. I don't I'm sure think, they're you know. comfortable. Yeah, I'm sure they're not in some <laughs> farmhouse. No, um, unless they want to be. Or like driving around like Lamborghinis and like, right. you know, having like multiple wives and like, they're just like these average dudes. And yeah. For whatever reason, like you said, like we're more focused on the rock star, the mm. NBA star, mm -hmm. flashy diamonds and jewelry and cars. And that's success. That's Instagram success. That's like what all like young people like look up to. I want to be famous. Well, yeah, that's I think I shared it with you. I think it was on Instagram. So it was probably an image that I think it was some money related post that I've been writing. Um, and it talked about the story of this party. And this gentleman was making introductions and he was introducing this one guy to this author who had a best-selling book. And he was explaining that the other guy had made tons and tons more money than this author would wildly successful author would ever make. And the author's response was, well, yes, but I have something he will never have enough. When I read it, that image on Instagram, I was like, wow, that's a brilliant illustration of it. Cause it's so, uncommon, especially in the United States, to encounter people who really are, they have enough. Like, they're, you know, it's the opposite of this constant striving more, more, more mentality. Yeah. And I think people think that it's an actual amount. Like enough no. is, it has nothing to do with amounts. It's not it, a dollar amount. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, think about it. Like those ING commercials, like what's your number? You ever mm -hmm. see them? Remember those commercials? Yeah. Like, so people would be thinking about retirement. And it'd be like this, you know, million dollar number flashing across the screen. That's your number. No, no, no. You're not going to feel like you ever have enough by mm -hmm. thinking there's this number out there. There's no destination. No destination. So if you can't find some sort of tranquility without having that number, mm -hmm. it's just never going to come. The number is not going to produce it. Right. That's the tough part. So like you're balancing these two conflicting maybe they're not conflicting. Maybe they can go hand in hand. We have to have a goal. You have to have a destination in sight. Like you're trying to go in a direction, right? I like the word intention. Yeah. Yeah. There's a so, general direction you're. Well, let's just put it like, so like you're writing a book, right? You're writing a book, but you can only see not even the next so chapter, maybe ahead. the next paragraph, maybe the next sentence. Sometimes just the next word. Okay. So you just nail it down to the next <laughs> word. So, but it's like this accumulation of things. Right. Right. But if your only like goal is like, I have to produce this entire book, mm -hmm. you're going to be like a deer in headlights. You, you're not going to be able to do it. It's too well, overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's too big. Way too overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just about that one book because after you write that book, you can write another book. And then it's just, again, like you it said, it's a yeah. process. So I don't know where we went off the, the rails with the lack of money is the root of all evil, but mm. it's just an interpretation and it's has nothing to do with the actual money. It's just yeah. interesting. So that sums up our self-fulfilling prophecy, root of all evil. Anything to add, Diane? I think we covered it. I think, yeah. It's just, it really, the awareness of what we are telling ourselves, what we are telling, what we are saying about ourselves, what we are saying about the resource. Money is just a resource. You know, that's really all it is. It's a resource. It's like our time, mm -hmm. our energy, but it's not a limited resource as our culture would sometimes have us believe. So, 
Yeah. The and our beliefs is- about that money is going to direct how you're using that money. Well, and the emotions then that those stories then bring up and right create. stories to thoughts, to emotions, to that behavior, to right? Choices and actions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then back to the same loop again. Yeah. 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 Next week we have episode 11 and this one I'm really excited to talk about. I mean, I, I'm excited to talk about all of these, so I don't want to keep saying they're that. all fun but in their own way. They're all. Yeah. This is the, my 20 year old self. So it's like this, what would you tell your 20 year old self? I'm 46, so that's like going back a ways. I don't even remember what my 20 year old self was like. I think I was a moron, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was 22 when I met my ex-husband, so clearly my <laughs> has improved quite a bit over right. the last 20 years. Yeah, it's like you're a different person. Like oh, you, a totally different person. But you are you, like you, you were you, Still but you're- me. yeah. So to have that conversation with that past you, I wonder like how that would go. Hmm. I guess we're going to find out. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, come follow us at faconfessions.com. Please subscribe and like and review and share. Share. I always forget share. Yeah, share. Just like a little kid, share. We will have an episode every week from here on in. So we have one blog post a week and we also have a podcast every week. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Okay. See you next week.